So, uh, call to order, please. Uh, welcome to the first QPSC of 2020. Um, a reminder to our audience members, we have some high, great house staff in the, in the room, that uh, the convention is to move directly to co closed session after roll call. Closed session, to remind everyone, is an 1157 protected discussion. We use it to discuss confidential matters, medical staff <laughs> accreditation, and risk management. So if you're not directly related to one of those discussions, we kindly ask you to rejoin us during the open session, which will subsequently be about 30 to 35 minutes today. I want to note uh, that I'm uh, somewhat sad to say that Trustee Banerjee has resigned from the QPSC. Trustee Banerjee has a new uh, job uh, with the Zuckerberg Chan Initiative, and Thursdays at 2.30 just don't seem doable with a new job for her. So she, I'm happy to report that she will maintain her other positions on the board, but uh, we are one less member as of today on the QPSC, so quorum will be two. Um, with that, um, let's go into roll call, please. Trustee Bouquet. Here. Trustee Hernandez. Here. Trustee Jensen. Here. We have a quorum. Um, with that, let's go to closed session. Uh, back into open session. Everyone, welcome to uh, the July, excuse, January 23rd, 2020 QPSC. Call to order, guys. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we have uh, just come out of closed session. We are moving into open session. Welcome to our first QPSC of 2020. So with that, we will move into item B, the consent agenda. May I entertain a motion to approve the consent agenda in its entirety? I'll move. Second. With that, I'll open it up for dialogue. Any dialogue on items B1 through B5? B1, the minutes. B2, the um, seven system uh, policies and procedures. One Highland, one John George, one San Leandro. We have privileges and sedation competencies, B, items B3 through B5. Any questions or comments from uh, the QPSC? None. Wow. With that, um, I'll call the vote. Uh, all in favor of approving the <coughs> consent agenda? Aye. 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 Uh, opposed, none. Abstentions, none. With that, we will close item B. Oh, wow, you get 10 minutes right there. Um, item C uh, is, uh, as we all recall, this is the QPSC chair um, uh, section, and uh, this is where we have discussion about articles. So there are two articles uh, which were included in the packet. Uh, I've actually asked some guests uh, to come join us. The first packet uh, is, uh, the first article is entitled, what are OKRs and how your team should adopt them. Uh, this was just a slight two-page read. Um, uh, this really relates to the concept of objectives and key results, OKRs. Uh, this term was sort of uh, derived out of Intel's CEO, uh, Andy Grove. Uh, uh, and um, I think it's a nice pathway for helping us to understand, first setting our objectives, then identifying our key results. The good news here is that we largely do this in this organization. This is when the dialogue that we have on our True North metrics and as a side, as we move into Q3 of this fiscal, we need to already start planning for True North metrics uh, as we approach Q4. I, I uh, am largely proud of our organization for, for actually subscribing to the concepts here in, uh, in OKR. By the way, there's a great book for those who are interested in in the management processes called Measure What Matters. It's a, it's a, it's, I'm currently in that read right now, but it relates directly to that. I use that kind of a, as our lever to uh, introduce our second article, which is uh, entitled, 
measuring health equity for ambulatory care sensitive conditions in a large integrated healthcare system, the development of an index. This article uh, actually was uh, referred to me by Trustee Hernandez, so thank you, Trustee Hernandez. How this relates to OKRs, is a, in, in my view, is as follows. Um, we, uh, as an organization, uh, hold as an objective that we want to reduce disparities in care, and I think that's one of the things which makes this place special for us and we all subscribe to. What we don't have, at least at, on the system dashboard level, which Trustee Hernandez, I, I think, was one of the inspirations for this, is we don't actually have those key results at the highest level of the organization. That is the true north metrics. So how do we, how do we leverage this, our management of that equity piece of what we do? And, and to be redundant and uh, to be a blowhard again, we talk about those elements of quality. Steep, safety, timeliness, efficiency, effectiveness, equity, and patient-centeredness. So with that, um, uh, that's a nice little entree into discussing this article. I've invited Tangerine Brigham uh, to, to come uh, have a talk with us. Minnie Swift also to come have a talk with us if you guys don't mind coming, have, having a seat at the table. Uh, and of course, Paula Barri, our, our CAO. Uh, and, and, and wondering where, where an article like this, an index like this, six, sits within in the seat of our organization. Uh, hi, Minnie. Dr. Swift uh, sent me an email um, uh, previously, and I replied late, I apologize. And she said, hey, Taft, what are your desired outcomes? Of, of, of this dialogue, and, and I gave her uh, a, a, a three-pronged response. Number one is to fuel the ongoing health equity dialogue in our organization. I think it's one of the essential dialogues that we, that we continue to have, and I don't think we can have too much of that. Number two, to provide clarity on what our objectives are regarding health equity. What are our true defined objectives? And, 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 and being specific in that language. And number three, to determine what the key results are that need to be tracked. And then entertain the dialogue about should these be placed on the system dashboard. So um, you guys are the experts in our system uh, on this kind of stuff. So I'm giving you a mic for a couple minutes. Mm -hmm. Sure. I'll start and I'll turn it over. Um, Tangerine, would you mind for the audience introducing yourself? Uh, Tangerine Brigham. I'm the CAO of Population Health. Um, your, this discussion is timely. Just yesterday... Um, there was an email that went out uh, across the staff uh, really introducing the establishment of our Health Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Committee. Uh, Minnie is on that committee representing population health as are a number of other leaders. And through that process, we're going to be looking at a number of things, not just health equity in terms of uh, patient outcomes, but you know there are five key areas. There's workforce diversity, which I know has been uh, quite an interest of this committee, in particular uh, Trustee uh, Hernandez. Equity of care, workforce development, integrated uh, community partnership, and inclusive leadership development. Um, out of that work, I think will come some of the things that you've just talked about. What are our specific, tangible goals um, for each of those areas? and what are the activities that we will be undertaking and monitoring on a routine 
basis moving forward and if we need to make adjustments in those uh, targeted deliverables how do we work through the process of, of doing that and bringing our entire organization along I think it's important that we realize that you know this is not designed to be a top-down process we specifically ensured that we had representation not only from our leadership uh, CEO Finley and also uh, Trustee Hernandez, but also staff at the line level. It was really important um, for us to, to have that. And I think we'll be able to identify, be it either an index like this, which you know, from the article is not being used, is not being proposed as a replacement for other uh, tools, but another uh, vantage point of looking at data. So let me stop there and, and turn it over to many who I think will probably have some comments. Dr. Swift, will you introduce yourself? Yes. Hi, I'm Minnie Swift. I'm Vice President for Population Health. Um, I don't have much more to add to what Andrine has said. I think we are um, extraordinarily fortunate that we have a leadership and a board that has prioritized equity and has a focus on equity and has had for some time. Um, we are now in a position to have, you know, the committee is launched and that is one of the outcomes to create a dashboard and to look at these five strategies to improve health care equity. Um, with that, I, I just wanted to stop because I, I feel that Tangerine's summary was pretty comprehensive to see if there were specific questions that you had about that approach or <coughs> how it relates to this article or... Yeah, I, again, just trying to clarify the vision and the actual steps of the pathway. Knowing where we're trying to get is nice, but how, what are the 65 steps we need to get to that? Yeah. Sure. So we're not going to be t able to tell you the 65 steps here. I think that's part of the committee process. Sure. Right? Um, that's the, the idea is that the committee will have a work plan um, after it's identified its larger vision and goals, mm -hmm. and then we'll be able to drill down on each of those activities, working alongside not only individuals in the committee, but at the local level at various facilities and sort of senior leaderships throughout the organization. But we certainly can um, at any point uh, during this process. <coughs> if the QPSC committee is interested in updates from the HETI committee, that's what you're calling us, HETI or HEDI, I forget. Petty. Yeah. What do you say? Yeah. Petty's good. Petty. Petty's yeah. good. Uh, committee to uh, uh, bring that information forward to just give you a sense of where we are in that process. And you can give us your perspective on whether or not you believe uh, any modification should be made or you'd like to provide your own general input. Excellent. I have some questions. My mic's not open. Oh, here we go. Um, you you might have the answer. You oh, okay. <laughs> It's about the Heady Committee, and I wonder um, if you could you just what what I'd like to get some more information about the integrated community partnerships and inclusive leadership development. What what are those? Um, how did those those particular objectives get into the committee plan, and how do you how will those relate to um, the diversity in our organization? Can I, can I so uh, one, thank you as always uh, for the thoughtful uh, and timely topics uh, uh, for the uh, for the committee and for the organization. Uh, oh, that one is. Oh, no. is it? No, it's not on. Anyway. Um, yeah. So so just to remind uh, or provide a little context on the. Um, 
the approach. Um, we took we started with um, kind of an assessment based off of a tool that was provided or, or provided by the Institute for Diversity uh, from the American Hospital Association on assessing kind of best practices for organizations that are committed to advancing health equity and diversity and inclusion, doing a kind of an inventory of what we do relative to those best practices and don't. And some of them were kind of yes and no or continuums of where we are relative to uh, uh, best practices. As a basis for creating a current state, we then assembled with uh, Trustee um, Hernandez's leadership uh, uh, and guidance here a um, an initiative that is this heady committee to basically take that uh, seed work as a current state, do some validation of that current state because it was informed by a summer intern uh, 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 effort. And then do gap analysis. And so the 65 steps is kind of this, where the gap analysis will occur. And that gap analysis is a combination of both qualitative indicators of, of more information that would inform where the organization is now, as well as uh, a quantitative, uh, as well as qualitative uh, feedback from a series of conversations that would happen with uh, various subsets of the organization. Uh, again, looking at dimensions of health equity, as well as diversity and inclusion. Um, and and then from there, the goal was to kind of take that um, gap analysis from the ideal practice, current state, uh, use the gaps to create a future state and a plan uh, that would uh, then inform this series of actions or opportunities we have to improve our performance along uh, these various dimensions, and uh, then to incorporate that back into the standard sort of operations of the organization. On a tracking basis, though, getting to true north metrics, um, at least the current thinking, and it will be informed by the ultimate work of the committee, was that this, the, 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 um, the robust nature of this type of work and our really leaning into it more might not lend itself well to the current tool that we have for systemic true enough measures across quality, access, sustainability, and other pieces in a kind of uh, succinct manner. It may require its own dashboard, uh, but that dashboard, just like the true enough metrics, would come up to the most senior level of the organization, i.e. the board. Uh, and that there would be, perhaps, given the nature of the work, a different cadence in which that work would be reviewed, informed, supported. Uh, I think uh, the current thinking was like twice a year. We do a deep dive into this work uh, uh, through the through the board's uh, perspective. Obviously, we're working on it across the year for the organization. So, but that was the thinking up to now. And then, if I may, to uh, Trustee Jensen's question, one of the areas. So there five different, I think, uh, dimensions that we're working on and creating subcommittees to do work. Um, when we comprise the kind of the seed group, which we're now further expanding to make sure we have frontline representation, um, we took the opportunity then and successfully to get community representation uh, on the board. So we got thought um, leadership in the form of um, um, uh, a gentleman who works for, uh, gosh, what is the name? Um, Trying to think of the organization that. Uh, no, no, no. The organization that, uh, what's his name, works for? Uh, the local group. Oh, yes. Anyway. Anyway, we have the head. Yeah, I know, right? Jeez. It's been a long day. Uh, um, we have the head of the Department of Public Health for the county, and we have. A gentleman who works for, I'm, I'm really embarrassed that this is happening right now. Thank Institute. you, the Public Health Institute, uh, who uh, provides a national thought leadership on this work, was also participating in our work in this space. Kevin, uh, Kevin, Kevin, Kevin. Kevin Burnett. Kevin Thank you. Burnett. Good Lord, that was really bad. Uh, yes, Kevin Burnett. Uh, so, 
Yes, exactly. And you've seen him in Governance Institute uh, uh, work that we, but he uh, was glad and uh, um, happy to support our efforts and participate uh, actively. So we had uh, kind of a, a lens into best practices as well as community perspectives informing the work that internal folks are doing around so that's this. The community well. partnership. That, that, that he'll help to inform the community partnership, the value of this? Uh, Kimi will do a little bit more of that, but that's also a combination of things, as well as I'll turn it over to Trustee Hernandez. If, if I may. Of course. Um, so I think we all need to just understand that most hospital systems do not have a chief equity officer. And if they did, that person would be able to look across the entire uh, structure of a system and ask really important questions about our workforce, our community engagement, our quality practices, our metrics, to ask the really fundamental question of this article, which is, does every person who comes to our facility get the same quality of care? And the national data says that is not happening no. nationally. So I'm, I'm really privileged to work with Dr. Lockhart at Sutter Health where this emerged. I'd like to invite him at some point to a retreat because um, he had the courage to ask a really difficult question. And that is, do people of color, do women, do veterans experience the emergency department or other services at their sites in the same way as others? And the answer was no. And they've published that. And they've documented it in a way that is meant to inform others about the hard work that it requires to make sure um, quality of care does not become contingent on color of skin. I want to be very bold about this and just say that takes a lot of courage to talk about. And so they've taken some cases there. This index was used to help them um, pull data from their electronic health record to actually look for some of those disparities, some of those inequities. And that's not a simple thing to do. So, so they were very um, uh, transparent about that process and now they're using lessons learned internally to start training everyone on unconscious bias, on protocols, on you know, a variety <laughs> of just um, safety uh, strategies that might prevent those kinds of inequities. Um, I, I think we're early in the journey and I just believe that this is really a very significant part of Hetty's work in the future, but it is going to be like 67 steps ahead and we're yeah. not there yet. I agree. Uh, I, again, Maria, I appreciate you putting forth the article when you read it and you realize this is in our own backyard at six miles that way. Mm -hmm. Born out of Alta Bates, they put it on their dashboard in early 2017. And it uses the same data sets which, which are sort of now available to us, which include prevalence data. Now with Epic, if you look at their, uh, their diagram of where they draw data, we have all those elements available to us. And then last but not least, it shows kind of maybe their collaborative nature. They give their email and say, for more information or to request an Excel version of this code, please email us. So I think uh, for our heady committee, we have some opportunity to not have to build it from scratch. And I, I do, although I know there's a ton of great knowledge in that, but it sounds like they've been doing this at least for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And uh, they even built a health equity strategy leadership team. So maybe some corroboration there is would be a, a great, great opportunity. And happy to see if I can pull. And Maria knows these people. <laughs> yeah.
Yeah, I think as I, I read this article, it was really exciting to see that they were stratifying, you know, looking at healthcare disparities and quality outcomes in particular in a different way. I think the other good news in the article was that they compared it to traditional methods that other healthcare organizations are using and said when there is a majority population or a population that we know to be um, having disparate outcomes, it's just as good as traditional methods. And I think we have the ability, once we stabilize EPIC, to build on those traditional activities, taking our quality metrics, stratifying them by traditional measures of vulnerability, looking within populations that are having good outcomes and seeing which additional populations we can, um, we can support while we work towards exploring whether such an index would indeed be useful or possible, yeah. given the resources that may require. Yes. Maybe one other thing that's worth uh, <coughs> at least acknowledging, although it's uh, on a much uh, perhaps a granular and smaller scale, is uh, within our current dashboard, uh, within the quality realm for the waiver in particular, there is at least one, perhaps one or two, mm -hmm. uh, metrics that are um, that have an equity uh, component to them for which we are uh, both uh, tracking, uh, doing interventional work, and reporting performance. Uh, so it's not called out specifically, but there is at least some uh, um, foundation for that type of work that's already happening. Uh, uh, what the hope is from this work is that we will, to uh, Dr. Swift's point, uh, be able to scale that even more as we focus on how we do this uh, more robustly. Exactly. Any further comment from the crowd? Trustees? Uh, Dr. Bobbery. I just say two things. Um, thank you for allowing this dialogue. Obviously, I don't have a lot to add to the great comments already made. Um, one thought is just, you know, I think the score is so powerful, but it really, you know, it's very narrow in its focus, which is good. Yeah. Once you hit our door, are we treating people equally? But we know, you know, inequity sort of compounds inequity, yeah. and all of those patients, by the time they hit the door, already have inequities built. And yeah. so, you know, some of the people who are doing the most innovative clinical intervention work recognize it's not just about treating people equally, but how do you go above and beyond that to compensate for all of the inequity that's built up up to that point in that patient's life? We are obviously not there yet, but I am eager to think through that because it's not just equality but compensating for all the deficits and then the only other thing I challenge you know for the heady committee is there, there's no one person or one committee that frankly can achieve this work across our organization and the clinical quality metrics are an easy starting point because especially through prime and QAP we can stratify all of our data by race um, ethnicity and language now as well as sexual orientation but really you know this is a cultural issue. And so talking to a close colleague who is leading a lot of this work for Zuckerberg, San Francisco General, you know, the way they're weaving it in is across numerous different domains, you know, thinking about, okay, security, you know, can we stratify our code grades by race and then see who is getting a code grade caught on them? How can the security department then own introspection, you know, racial bias training, et cetera, you know, and doing that across every single employee across the organization and even outside of the ones that are maybe just providing direct clinical care. So I think there's so much opportunity um, to really tackle it from numerous angles. Just to build on that, they produced a, you know, um, the Safety Net Institute hosts these convenings to um, bring together the prime um, entities to share best practices. And they had such a powerful presentation on how they are approaching um, health equity. Basically, numerous departments required to stratify their data 
um, not just in the clinical areas, and it's really exciting. It's it's recorded and I think can be shared, and I mm -hmm. encourage everyone to check it out. We should go visit that. Mm -hmm. So, question to you two: When would you like to come back and give us a report on your product? Six months. Six say? months. I don't know the. Product. Yeah, I don't the, 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 uh, at least right now, uh, the, the, the committee is finalizing their uh, membership based off of the additional outreach, uh, and is expected to uh, convene the sort of next steps of the deeper work uh, beginning in February or in March or mm -hmm. February March, um, and expected that's expected to take about. Uh, four or five month uh, uh, process, so so it'll probably be good. Q1 next year. Yeah, I say the beginning of uh, uh, Q1 of the fiscal year. Of uh, fiscal year. Yeah, yeah, uh, probably, probably uh, September or so. September, yeah, October. Yeah, September, October. Does that sound okay? Or perhaps even a retreat topic, as. Mm -hmm. Good. Thank you for your contribution to this dialogue. Thank you. Thank you. With that, we will uh, close out item C. We'll move into item D. The medical staff reports. Uh, 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 Dr. Rachel Baden is our Vice Chief of Staff for the AHS Corps. She's sitting in for Dr. Ballard. Welcome, Dr. Baden. And we have Dr. Ingenue, who leads the San Leandro Hospital Leadership Committee, and Dr. Marzouk, of course, from uh, Alameda Hospital. Dr. Baden, do you mind coming out of the gates first? Yeah. Um, so I'll start with credentialing and privileging. Um, so we had a detailed discussion of credentialing and privileging in our closed session of QP, in our closed session of MEC, but also um, uh, we had several reappointments, um, so 16 initial appointments, 12 temporary privileges, 15 reappointments, one leave of absence, 20 proctoring activities, 11 requests for additional privileges, 22 voluntary resignations, um, two initial appointments to VRAD, two VRAD reappointments, and two VRAD resignations. Um, the major issue that was discussed was in, um, by the MEC uh, was that we were modifying some privileges in my department, the Department of Medicine. Um, so we have new privileges for addiction medicine, um, which we've never had here before, but for our big providers and our substance use clinic um, over in OA1, we now have addiction privileges. So the emergency medicine uh, docs who are providing care in the substance use clinic um, are now privileged in the Department of Medicine for addiction, and then our Department of Medicine providers are now have additional providers in addiction medicine. So that's exciting. Um, <clears throat> we have new privileges in nephrology. This was um, based on some recommendations from our last survey um, to update those privileges. So we had a plan of action, and that's complete. And now we do now have multi, this is exciting, Taft can speak to this, multi-facility gastroenterology um, privileges. So this is uh, three, but you, this is just the beginning. We're going to be revising our privileges across all departments, but um, probably starting in my department and the Department of Medicine, so you'll see more of this to come. Um, so anticipate many new privilege forms where we're streamlining them <coughs> and making them much more specialty um, specific than they have ever been, which um, is going to be important for future surveys and just overall clinical care. Any questions about the, mo the privilege modifications? Trustees? No. Okay. Um, there was a medical staff procedural sedation competency um, which aligns with the new system-wide policy on procedural sedation, um, a learning module and test was developed for providers um, requesting or currently granted procedural sedation privileges, so that's also happening. Um, we had no January physician contracts, um, and then we had some updates on the electronic health record. Really nothing else to report. <clears throat> Trustees, any questions for Dr. Baden on AHS core medical staff? None? Oh, that's kind of easy. 
Dr. Baden, uh, you know I ask this question always, so I yeah. hope you're prepared. I always ask, uh, for our audience members, I always ask to rank list your top concerns. Last time, Dr. Ballard, uh, in, in our November meeting, she said her rank list concern list are num was number one, diversity. Number two, relationships, particularly those between the physicians and the administrative staff. And three, epic. Can you update your uh, rep your representation? Yes. So of Kelly your told me to come up with my own list. Excellent. Thanks, Kelly. That's a good leader. Uh, <laughs> um, so what I would say is that things have settled down tremendously in the core in regard to our Sapphire implementation. I think we have reached a sort of happy, steady state. Um, recognizing that not everything is fixed, but there are many things in the works. And I would say generally providers overall are, are happy. Um, we were just talking today about how incredible it was we saw a patient on an ID consult that we could access the myriad of records at UCSF at a moment's notice, and it was so, um, like, it easy. changed easy, <laughs> and it fundamentally changed our care in this really complicated patient. And we could never do that before. We wouldn't even known that this person had records at UCSF. And so um, it's transformative in yeah. terms of our ability to provide good and efficient care. And I, um, so I think um, while I understand why Kelly named that, I feel like we are we're easing into a happy state. Okay. Um, and I think people are excited about this, the Thrive initiative that's coming up next month where we're going to have sort of a check-in to work on workflows and things like that. I think that will be important for a lot of the providers. Um, so I'm going to move EPIC down. Can you remind everyone what THRIVE is? Um, I don't know what it stands for. Is it, isn't it an acronym? No, 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 it's not Kaiser. Yeah, it's not, definitely not Kaiser. <laughs> uh, basically, what THRIVE is going to be, and... He's not here. I don't know if it's an acronym, so I don't know if... I don't think it is, and I don't think they realize that Kaiser kind of has the strong color. Yeah. Oh, okay. But what it's going to be is that basically a lot of the EPIC trainers and many of the folks that were helping us out initially are coming back for a check-in and you can schedule a session with them one-on-one -on -one to do whatever you need to do, whatever check-in you need. I'm excited about yeah, it. I got a list strange. of things. It's, it's basically an optimization opportunity. Yeah, uh, and, and I think uh, people are looking forward to it and I think many people will benefit from it. And maybe the folks um, at Alameda Hospital who are really struggling, maybe this will be something that will really help them. Um, so I'm going to move back down the list. I think fundamentally we in the core are still um, on our journey to figure out how San Leandro and Highland and our systemness will be. And I think we are still in the process of figuring that. Maybe Dr. Ingenu wants to speak to that. Um, in terms of providing oversight from medical staff standpoint at San Leandro um, and existing together in a, in a seamless way, I think we're on our journey. Um, and so we're still trying to figure that out. So I'm going to put that on the list because I think it's Is actually important. Is that your important. number one? It's not my one, number one. I okay. think that's my number three. Got it. Number three. Oh, we'll call it integration. How's that sound? We'll call integration mm -hmm. number, uh, number three. I think probably system integration. It's system integration. Because it's providers, it's clinical operations, how do we transfer, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Sorry I'm not gonna, to put words in your mouth. No, that's good. I'm going to leave Kelly's, I'm going to leave diversity on the list because I think it's an important thing that we need to keep at the forefront. And so I'm going to leave that as number two. I think it's on a lot of folks' minds. Um, and um, I'm going to put relationships as number one. I think there's a lot of opportunity that we have as a system to improve our relationships with one another. Um, and, our, and I think there's still opportunities with the medical staff to enhance our relationship with administration. And as we face um, uh, some more integration with the development of NUCO um, in the coming months, I think there's some major opportunities there. And so I think that's on a lot of core providers' minds. 
um, in my department, in OB, in emergency medicine, for a lot of the AHP physicians. I think a lot of folks are wondering what the next few months are going to bring. I'm going to put that as number one on my list because that's what I'm hearing from a lot of folks. So number one, relationships, number two, diversity, number three, integration. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much for that mm -hmm. report. Trustees, any further questions for Dr. Baden? Thank you for the report, Dr. Baden. You're welcome. Uh, well, that, we, well, let's go to Dr. Ingenue, who uh, leads up the San Leandro Hospital uh, leadership team. Uh, welcome, Dr. Ingenue. Thank you. Thank you. So we had our leadership committee meeting at the beginning of the month. Um, as we typically do, and then I also attended the MEC, um, of course, at Highland. I, I think the issues that came up um, in the leadership committee that were important to discuss are a few. Um, subspecialty coverage has been a problem. I know typically it was a problem at Alameda, and it's become more of a problem at, at San Leandro with loss of some of the ENT <laughs> docs on staff now. There's only one that's willing to were available really on staff to take uh, ER call and so he's not going to take it all the time so that's being worked out hopefully um, so that's a concern and that's sort of been a steady concern of loss of various specialties there's only one GI doc who's you know very available when he's around but he's not around all the time um, and I think the default has been to get the Highland physicians to cover but many of them don't have the bandwidth to come to San Leandro so the patients end up just getting transferred um, which isn't always the optimum thing if, if we're trying to be a community hospital for the community transferring everybody out of the community is probably not the, shouldn't be the goal especially for surgical things which I feel there's the bandwidth there to do those procedures at San Leandro so we should try to engage that more I'll get back to that in a second I think uh, one of the other issues that we discussed were the EPIC issues, um, and I think having the data available is certainly uh, exciting. It's, it's good. It's been less of an issue for us because a lot of the patients are local and are known within the system. I think there's a little less bouncing around. And then many of the physicians already have EPIC access at the Sutter system, which tends to be the other location they go, so they, they, they had access to all the information. I, I still think there are a number of inefficiencies uh, which are being worked through. I think the, some of the surgeons have been frustrated about the speed at which this gets done within the system. I mean, for example, there are consent issues, and Dr. Victorino and I have been talking about this. The way the consent is done doesn't make a whole lot of sense, I've got to be honest, and it's not done that way in any other facility in East Bay, UC, Stanford, um, and it it's a bit <coughs> inefficient, I'll say. Um, and that needs to be fixed. It's been in discussion with legal, um, but I, I think it can be fixed. Why it, it takes so long is a little unclear to some of the, the physicians, um, just the, the nature of the forms, etc. And hopefully that will be worked through. Um, nobody was thrilled to hear that there's going to be a joint commission site visit, which will include San Leandro again, since we just did it last year. Um, however, now we're included again um, because of the merger um, with uh, Highland, but it is what it is. Um, we did have some discussions with the uh, rehab physicians, uh, the chief of rehab. He, he came down, which was great. Um, and I've actually invited him to come to this meeting um, and perhaps we should look at our policies and procedures 
And I think whoever's the in charge there, and this is something the first time I mention it here now, but we can discuss it at the committee next time, is to have him as a part of the of the the, um, the committee there because he really is there every day, or whoever it is is there every day, um, and uh, there's someone who's the lead there, and I think they're they should be involved with the physicians there. They there was some discussion about consultations, <laughs> availability of consultants. Etc. And then the the logistics of transfers, um, and those really revolved around again the subspecialties that are available to deal with urgent problems. If they're not, they might need a, especially neurologic problems that transfer to to because uh, neurology is an issue again, as is psychiatry, um, to uh, to Highland in the appropriate cases. I think that can be worked out without too much. Uh, problem. I mean, the other issue which has concerned me is engagement of physicians in the Physician Leadership Committee. And, and this is something I, I predicted would be a problem months and months ago. Just the getting people who will be available, who are willing to be available to come to the MEC, to come to this. This meeting is basically the, right now, the, the chief of the committee. But um, there are four voting members as we have worked it out uh, during the merger from the Physician Leadership Committee at San Leandro. Right now, two exist. Um, those positions exist, Dr. Afsali and I. And he generally is able to make it to the, the Highland MEC. It is problematic for a lot of the physicians there. It is a meeting from 8 to probably close to noon on a Wednesday morning. Um, and typically, the physicians there, we never did meetings during working hours that we were seeing patients or operating or whatever. And so I've had a lot of trouble, including the, the hospitalists, because I've really tried to get one of the hospitalists to be a voting member because I think they're the ones who are there the most. They really have their pulse. And it's, it's very difficult to get them engaged. And, you know, they do their shifts there. They have no protected time to do this. When they're not there, they're not there, and, and they don't have the bandwidth or the ability or desire to come to other meetings off-site when they're not working. Um, so I think that's going to be a continued problem. And it, you know, talking to Tanvir, it's not something that can be avoided. I mean, that committee has to have people who are engaged at that site. You can't have Highland physicians who don't really practice there come down and run that committee. From a joint commission standpoint, at least, he's, he's discussed that with me. And so I, I'm not quite sure the best way to, to do that. Um, and it's going to be a challenge, I can tell you. Do you have a, have you, obviously you've put your brain on this for a while. Do you have any suggestions? If, if you could make it whatever you wanted, how would you, how, what would you do? To get people engaged? Yeah, to, to have St. Leandro's clinical staff have representation. Well, I, I think there are two things. One, you know, from a surgeon standpoint, if you want the other specialties to really be operating there, because most of the work tends to be through the emergency department. There's less elective work. I think you have to engage those people. How do you engage them? You have to have the equipment that they need in the operating room. And then the, the most attractive thing for most surgeons is time. If you can get the prime times to do your elective cases, and people are saying, we will give you those slots, people will, will come. Um, and I apologize, Mike, I wasn't talking about the clinical efficiencies, I was oh, yeah. talking about how to represent the voice in, in, in medical leadership. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's part of it. So you get those people engaged and more uh, apt to 
provide more care at the facility, they'll hopefully be more uh, interested in participating in the committee because then they'd have an effect on decision making that would affect their practice. Um, so I think that's one thing. Uh, as far as engaging the, um, the uh, physicians um, in the committee, and you know the evening meeting that we have and other things, that's not really onerous. It's, it's the meetings coming to MEC for those other four people up here, I think, are the problem. Uh, you know, the San Leandro medical staff, or it's not, not the administration previously, and the, even in the, the previous iterations with Sutter, they provided a stipend, an hourly stipend for these people to go to these meetings. It's not, that's one potential way to get some of them more engaged. You know, they're not talking about huge amounts of money, but I think that might help. I don't know it will, though. Um, it's the, uh, it's the time, it's when it's done that's going to be a problem. Uh, and uh, it really, especially for the physicians, surgeons, and you know, they're losing a whole day, a morning of work. And for I've tried to engage, for example, Dr. Chang, who's the busiest orthopedist over there, and that's his operating time. You know, you can't really change a whole day for that. Um, and that potentially could impact the OR at San Leandro, too. I mean, I guess he could change it around, but he's very busy by himself. So that kind of thing is, is a problem. So I'm actively recruiting. But so thus far, I've not been particularly successful. So. Mr. Finn. Sorry, uh, just a follow-up question. Thank you. So, so, and it sort of, in some ways, connects to uh, a comment Dr. Gaten was making earlier in terms of the integration. Um, so, um, are you able to discern what? I mean, I know it's all one medical staff now. How? What? What is? What is? What's the sense of the sort of percentage? Of or composition of the uh, providers across the different disciplines uh, who are operating in both uh, facilities. facilities uh, people who are. So, I mean, if I had to, to say, the, probably the only ones are surgical, um, really. Uh, Dr. Vitorino's general surgery team, they do. ER. The orthopedists who do take call tend not to do much there. They tend to transfer the patients, my sense is. Um, and um, the, uh, the, there's really very little overlap in the Department of Medicine. Perhaps infectious disease, I think that group does come here and, and go there. Mm -hmm. But all the other medical specialties, subspecialties, Really, they provide those services there, but they don't do anything at Highland. So for, if I can, uh, for the For the hospitalists either. So for the diagnostic areas like imaging and um, uh, uh, lab medicine. Yeah, that, that is there, correct. Yes. Are there, is there overlap between the two? Yeah, the, the radiologist that is assigned there is one of the radiologists from the team at Highland, and the anesthesiologist as well. And anesthesia, and, and what about pathology? Yes, pathology. Yeah, pathology. And, and so, so for radiology, anesthesia, pathology, and emergency medicine, right? There is integration between those 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 entities. That in emergency medicine, I say it's limited. There's a few that do some cross, but most of the people that do their their shifts at San Leandro do their shifts at San Leandro. But yes, there is. So. Okay. So I only ask as a basis of understanding uh, to uh, how much of a strain on your ability then to have a, com a committee that's comprised of people who are uh, effectively uh, San Leandro-centric uh, uh, versus people who may cross both entities and their ability to provide insight to, from a clinical clinician perspective, uh, 
uh, needs, concerns, opportunities for the San Leandro campus that's informed by their practice there through the auspices of this committee filtering into the MEC versus then the departmental infrastructure which is a lot more integrated uh, now as well. So I think one of the things to think about is how much of, of the foundation for having such a committee and how that's comprised should be uh, influenced by that sort of dynamic. That there may be more opportunity to make sure that those those entities that are crossing both entities uh, or those providers and those disciplines that are crossing both entities don't feel that it will be duplicative to participate here when they're also being represented in the core or the Highland campus through the same department. So I'm probably talking to those departmental leaders to see how best to inform San Leandro specific opportunities might be a good Right, I mean, I think, you know, my perspective is who, uh, who's taking care of the patients on the floor on a daily basis, right? The, the, those are the internists. I mean, realistically, the hospitalists and the internists. I, I realize the pathologists, the anesthesiologists, the radiologists, mm -hmm. They're there, but the people that are really dealing with the patients every day as inpatients mm -hmm. are mostly the internists and the surgeons, obviously, of course. And the most of the overlap in that, which is really the daily care of the patients, involves medicine. And, and that's, I think, one of the problems, trying to get medicine, the medicines, medical subspecialties engaged. Because the cardiologists who are there are probably not going to come to the Department of Medicine <coughs> meeting in Highland. The, rate, the nephrologists, the, you know, they're, it, they're it just realistically, I don't think they're attending. I, you would know I don't go to the Department of Medicine. They haven't been attending the meeting there, but I'm holding a monthly meeting at San Leander for the medicine program. Right, which is helpful, of course. And there's a surgery department meeting now, too, which I think is helpful, um, which hopefully we can get more of the surgeons to go to. But, for example, having a... You know, Dr. Victorino comes to the physician leadership because he's the chief of surgery, and the chiefs of all the divisions should be coming to this. Pathology, Dr. Ng always phones in. Anesthesia hasn't been in medicine intermittently, but the the. Uh, one. Uh, no, you are. You are. So, I was but, really sick that day. But the. You know, having. Um, <clears throat> really want to have the people that are practicing there be on that committee obviously not somebody who comes down and does one case a month or something you know I mean that's that's not as helpful I think and so that's that's what I I've been trying to do is engage the people that are there every day especially the medical doctors I think those are the ones that are really taking care of the patients every day yeah. and the hospitalists as well and, just, and I appreciate that I and, and uh, perhaps just to short circuit my comments on it just it seems to me that there is a evolution occurring here yes. that uh, the structure might not be uh, uh, informed by and I think we need to kind of try to work through that to figure out how either that structure evolves that's consistent with the evolution and is informed by these leadership structures that are being complemented in ways that didn't exist when this concept was maybe uh, uh, form formulated so that we don't frustrate people by trying to Get a square pit into a round. I also think that this is still an evolution. Yeah. So I, many of our service lines are going to be expanding. We made the announcement that pulmonary critical care is now going to be um, the same division uh, between Highland and San Leandro, and we're recruiting now for folks to. And and what will happen is the pulmonary critical care docs will rotate at San Leandro and at Highland, and, and so it'll be one group that takes care of patients at both places. And I think. 
I think we'll start to see that more and more. We've seen a lot of the subspecialists step away from San Leandro, and we're trying to recruit um, folks that can be part of a system-wide service line to fill in those gaps. Same thing's happening in neurology. Um, we're recruiting now for hopefully some San Leandro coverage. Um, and we've had a lot of discussions about GI, and um, Dr. Vinsani will remain at, um, you know, as part of the, um, the, the coverage at, at San Leandro, and we'll try to augment um, <coughs> here and there for him when he goes on vacation. And so this is really an evolution, and I don't think that we've sort of seen we have to figure out a way to have leadership representation as we evolve, and I think once we get more docs at both places, that, that will be something I hope that we can achieve. The bigger issue is now that we've added these four slots to our MEC for the San Leandro docs and they're not coming, we're not meeting quorum easily. And so we have to really reevaluate this because we can't hold up the start of MEC each month waiting for docs to filter in because we've increased our, our, our size. And yeah. so um, this is something that we're aggressively analyzing right now in terms of what the best structure is. And I don't necessarily have the answer, but I think all of us are fully aware of the issues. We've tried really hard to engage the current San Leandro docs in the current leadership structure. I, too, have reached out to most, most if not all, of the folks in medicine to beg them to be part of this. They're not interested at this time, and I can't, I can't make people Interesting. interested. Yeah. And so all I can do is try to recruit people who will be at both places, who will be engaged in leadership, and, and want to be part of our system-wide initiatives. And that's what we're hoping to achieve. Do Dr. J, you wanted to say something? Uh, just as a comment, uh, I think in the community hospital, historically, the MEC has been really the venue to raise up issues. Uh, as we have moved towards like system and department, we should not wait for the MEC. So I know that Dr. Barry Simon holds regular meetings with his directors at Alameda Hospital in St. Leandro. And today in my rounding at Alameda Hospital, you know, Dr. Nikita Joshi just said, oh, no, we discussed this with Dr. Simon, we did this. We... So uh, the same thing I know that uh, uh, Dr. Dr. Baden, she, she goes regularly there. She doesn't, I mean, if there is a problem, you know, she just goes there. And I know that the same goes with Dr. Victorino as it relates to any surgical issues. Uh, so, uh, plus I should mention Dr. Tornabin, who regularly goes and holds like a leadership meeting, not besides this leadership meeting, like, you know, she goes, she sits down with the chairs, the representative, and we try to address issues. So, um, what I'm just trying to say is that yes, you know, uh, we, we have maybe inconvenient for the community physician timing of the MEC. However, raising <coughs> issues, we are all totally engaged. And I, I know, I mean, Dr. Ingenio has, has me on, on, his, on his speed dial. I have him on his. So we, we communicate. We always like raise issues very, very effectively and timely. Mm. Thank you, Doc. Well, I think it's, uh, sorry to interrupt there, but no, I, it's, I think your, it's your a big picture out. question. Uh, do, do you, as a system or as a board, want the physicians who practice in the community at San Leandro to still be practicing there? Right. That, that's, that's the big question. And if, if you do, you got to engage them and say, in, in all levels, we're going to provide these services, we're going to have them. And I think there can be a an easy symbiosis there. I, I don't think it has to be one or the other, um, but it's going to require a little work from administration to engage those people. I think if if you don't, you can make that clear and then have all the coverage done through departments here, and, and that's a different vision for 
the system. But if you, if you want to cover both, or and I, and I think if you want to serve that community, um, it's going to involve having the physicians that have their offices in that community and are taking care of those patients in that community, and uh, and not just the people who come in through the ER, because that otherwise that's what you're going to be dealing with, right? Um, and so that's a decision you have to make, and then and then maybe if if that's not the vision of the system, there shouldn't be a physician leadership committee there. You know, it can just be all the departments here because if it's all physicians that are primarily or, or significantly practicing here anyway, then it doesn't make any difference. Go back in, sir. Sorry, thank you. Uh, so I, I, I hope, I, I, I believe I'm reflecting the will of the board, which is that there, there is a, there has been a decision made that there is a desire to uh, 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 continue to have community physician participation in the community hospitals. Uh, that stated, the manner in which the community physicians uh, are uh, engaged and participate in the organization, so there's provisions made in medical staff bylaws to facilitate all of that. The manner in which it happens will probably look differently than it did uh, when they were independent or a part of a different system, and even the early stages of being a part of this system. And I think the evolution there and the, uh, uh, the challenges that we'll face during the evolution of creating structures that facilitate and foster that type of engagement need to be flexible. So uh, the notion of creating a leadership uh, council that is um, uh, that then is something that leads into an MEC meeting where there are seats that has to conform with a larger sort of structure in place, I think we should rather than struggle with it, uh, uh, lean into the fact that that might not be a, uh, a malleable enough uh, a construct to work with them and engage them in this way so that no one's overly frustrated by that. Let's look at taking a step back and saying there are things that are happening that facilitate that process uh, being done in a different way. And now let's look at are there different ways to engage those community docs uh, that is more conducive to your practice style, your needs, and our needs in such a way that there is probably a different construct that allows for that feedback and that engagement to be uh, mutually beneficial. So I, it's just an encouragement, not just from the administrative perspective, because I think uh, the administration, and I would say this as a representative of the administration, rely very heavily on the clinicians uh, to both um, facilitate and uh, structure how that happens. So, so it would be really incumbent on us to rely on you and the rest of the medical leadership to try to structure and facilitate the means by which we can actually achieve those outcomes. Further questions for Dr. Ingenio. Uh, Dr. Ingenio, at your last uh, uh, QPSC in November, your rank list of concerns was number one, neurology and psychiatry coverage, number two, EPIC, number three, OR volume and uh, inefficiencies related to the OR. Can you give me your rank list for today of your top ranked concerns? I think it's the same, essentially, subspecialty coverage. I have to add ENT to that one, okay. though. So number one, neurology, psychiatry, ENT. ENT, right. Number um, two, EPIC? Yes, still there needs to be streamlining and efficiencies okay. garnered in that. And it's very slow to have anything. At this stage, it's gotten really slow okay. to start changing things. Because um, I think they're more big picture things sometimes that are, that are harder to change. Um, to, to improve. I, I, I'm not saying change, but yeah, improve. Of um, course. And then probably the third is, is still um, 
you know, what we had talked about, uh, what did you say? The, uh, OR volume was OR your volume, number Which three. is engagement of physicians in the, in the other subspecialties. I think it's the same thing. Um, because, uh, you know, there, there's capacity there, and, and the <coughs> OR teams are, are willing to, to, to be there. So I think if we can, it's a good opportunity to, to, to use that space. I know the OR can be impacted up here yeah. at times, so why not? Thank you for your report, Dr. Jane. You're welcome. With that, we will go to the Alameda Hospital's uh, report, Dr. Marzouk. Welcome. Yes, thank you. Um, <clears throat> and close to our, uh, the credentials and privileging, which we discussed in the closed session, <clears throat> just to note that uh, there were uh, uh, initial appointments as well as uh, for primarily the anesthesiologist uh, as uh, the anesthesiology uh, group uh, is no longer, has been incorporated with the Alameda uh, Health System. Anesthesiologists are now uh, uh, under contract for to provide anesthesia services. So thus, we have had to uh, credential several anesthesiologists. Okay. <coughs> Several anesthesiologists. In addition, uh, we uh, uh, approved and uh, the sedation competency uh, uh, modules for uh, system-wide as well as uh, as well as the GI uh, modules, uh, as well as I'm sorry, the GI uh, uh, privilege forms, as as was alluded to earlier. Uh, <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, in addition, uh, uh, there were uh, issues that we had discussed was uh, some uh, frustration with uh, Sapphire and immediate availability, both in the hardware uh, connectivity issues as well as training uh, engagement uh, with uh, with Epic. I know that talking uh, to Dr. Uh, uh, and uh, Turner Benny that uh, we're working on uh, working on the media connectivity issues as well as as developing uh, an urgency for urgent matters that deal with uh, epic uh, from a physician standpoint uh, uh, as well as there are these uh, upcoming thrive classes or uh, in uh, February 11, 12, and 13. Specialty coverage uh, was alluded to as well. Uh, GI, as uh, uh, we have heard before, and uh, uh, coverage is, I think, uh, is it uh, March or February? Probably or April. April. I'm sorry. Yeah. April that uh, uh, we're possibly eventually a GI, uh, which will be based at, at uh, Alameda uh, as uh, my understanding, and uh, which will expand the, the uh, or have a much needed GI coverage. I understand also that uh, that uh, neurology is uh, is uh, uh, potentially going to uh, need uh, some more specialty coverage. So that's uh, uh, as as we only have one single neurologist uh, that is being. Uh, addressed uh, by uh, attempting to obtain another neurologist in the system-wide as well. Uh, 
And finally, a, a more immediate issue which arose during the last month or so was uh, uh, <coughs> for the radiological uh, procedures that require a CR. Uh, I'm sorry, the surgical procedures that require a CR. Uh, uh, we do uh, due to staffing and, and uh, <coughs> credentialing or ability uh, uh, CR credentialed or CR radiology techs uh, have not been available uh, at, at hours that are uh, non-emergent settings. Uh, I understand that that's a staffing problem but it puts us a little bit in the bind if we have a uh, uh, procedures that go beyond 5 or 5.30 and we have no radiology uh, tech who can man the CR. Uh, for example, I was told that uh, an orthopedist had to actually go in and out of surgery to, to coordinate the CR, uh, which is uh, 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 problematic from many standpoints. Uh, so, in an emergency situation, uh, that's, that's uh, 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 a critical situation where we need to have that tech be credentialed, to, or if, if I'm using the right word, being able to, to operate the CR for the surgeons. Uh, after hours or emergency situations where a CR is necessary. Uh, and uh, uh, that I think it's something that uh, Dr. Maldi is working on. And uh, that is essentially my report. Trustee Jensen. Dr. Marzuk, it sounded, or it looked like on the report, this mic doesn't work, um, that there was uh, several um, appointments or pending appointments of psychiatrists at Alameda Hospital. It looked like more than usual. Is that? Is there, uh, am I mistaken or is there? A I would have to go back uh, uh, and. Uh, or given, maybe it's just to give. Um, when you say psychiatrist, I'm, uh, I'm not sure that, that uh, uh, exactly what. Uh, it was initial appointments on the, and this was in close. It was in the so, close packet. Yeah. Okay. And I was, but if you don't, if it's not something that's been addressed by the well, MEC, well, then it's I, only, uh, as I see it, it's only uh, two psychiatrists. Dr. Siddhartha might comment. We are implementing telepsychiatry through the system. Dr. Siddhartha, you want to comment on this, the psychiatry uh, credentialing at Alameda Hospital? Yeah. Do you want to come forward, yeah, please? Yeah. Dr. Dr. Siddhartha yeah. is is a chair of. We have uh, had daytime coverage on weekdays from uh, Monday to Friday and with our doctor leaving late last year, we, uh, we were in a phase where we did not have coverage. We had our sporadic coverage. Now, uh, the coverage that Dr. Via provided is back on, starting this week actually, and so yeah, this week, and we are augmenting that with uh, telepsychiatry to cover nights and weekends. 
So we had our demo on Tuesday this week. So we are going to go in uh, stages and phases. So we'll st start with a few weeks of covering Highland and then uh, move it out to San Leandro and Alameda Hospital. Thank you. And, um, and I also was, with regard to the, um, the radiology coverage, well, two things. The neurology coverage, that's been an issue in the, for several months, at least. And of course, we are a stroke center in Alameda, and I wonder if there's any impact of not having full coverage of neurology. Dr. J. So uh, we are working with uh, Dr. Baden's team to ensure that we have full coverage. Where we did, uh, I mean, we have a contract with the current provider, and uh, we have a plan to like have full coverage in the in the future. As far as neurology, as far as urology. Uh, we we just uh, got the contract actually yesterday signed by urologists who will do partial coverage at least for uh, a number of days during the month. Plus, we are recruiting an AHP uh, physician. We had also vacancy here at Highland. Uh, our problem with recruiting urology, I say that again, is that the young graduate urologists they need to have access to robotic surgery and and we are looking into this in our strategic direction in the future because we we haven't been able to recruit a urologist almost like <coughs> almost 18 months two years uh, so that's where we are but at least we have now a contract with the urologist who will start on march we will we will introduce him to the medical staff thank you but finally um do we have full 24-hour radiology at alameda and san leandro I guess Janet. So I can put some context around that. So uh, the C-arm coverage, uh, when we dug down into the data, occurred about 20% of the time when there wasn't. And so the issue is that not a lot of the techs have what's called a multimodality fluoral license. And so some uh, two techs left. The travelers that came in did not have that uh, multimodality. So 20% of the time um, we were not able to provide that coverage to do specifically the C-arm. We could do CTs, we could do x-rays, just not the C-arm. Uh, one has been hired and then there's another person in the queue that will take up that 20%. Um, the other issue is that those cases happened at the end of the day and so there were some uh, other things around there that could have been done differently. We could have maybe bumped a case uh, to do that case earlier. We could have added it on the next morning. So there was a, a lot more to that story than just a uh, patient uh, being done. The physician that did the C-arm, it's not ideal by any stretch that he scrubbed in, scrubbed out. Um, that was a choice that was made after everything was presented. Um, so the, the situation will be rectified with the, the addition of the two travelers that do have the multimodality, and then we will continue to source for permanent staff. But um, those are uh, a typical, typically tough positions to find. Um, so we cobbled it together and it ended up about 20% of the time. Doesn't mean that 20% uh, had surgeries booked, but 20% of seven days a week, um, there was no coverage for that time. So it doesn't doesn't mean that every time we had a surgery, 20% of those surgeries didn't have C-arm coverage. So Thanks. does that answer the question? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, can I have a comment too? That, that's been a concern at San Leandro Hospital as well. Um, you know, our, CR, our CRM coverage has been fabulous. There are three techs who have been the leads on, three to four that have been the leads on that. And there's even a, a huge difference between using a CRM for an orthopedic case and a vascular case. Mm -hmm. Because when you're using it for a vascular case, it's like a cath lab tech. I mean, right. they, need, they need to have to run the computers and do the digital subtraction and do a lot of other stuff. 
And so I, I've been talking to Heather Duke about this, but she's, she's trying to cross-train everybody to do that, and I think it's great. I'm more than willing to help do that. I, I don't know that it's going to be realistic to have that those people, you know, intermittently show up and be part of the team and work efficiently the way it is now. So we have to be a little careful about that. That's why I've been talking to her about that okay. over at San Leandro. And I, I think there are some areas that we can awesome. be there. All right, thank you for informing that dialogue. Dr. Marzouk, um, at your last presentation, your ranked list uh, er, uh, concerns were number one, specialty coverage, number two, the transfer center, and number three, EPIC. Can you give us today's ranked list of your ranked ordered concerns? Uh, probably, uh, <coughs> I would say EPIC and... EPIC is number one? The frustrations okay. of... of, uh, of uh, immediate epic sure. would be either one or two. The, the CR and, uh, was, was number one. Okay, so number one is CR, number two is epic. Uh, and uh, especially coverage is still up there. Okay. Um, transfer center is no, transfer center is no longer on your list? Well, not uh, on my top three list. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, your top three are number one, CR management, number two, EPIC, and number three? Number three was specialty. Specialty. Neurology. Specialty with neurology coverage. Thank you for your report. With that, we will, uh, we will close item D. We'll move into item E. This is the SBU quality report. This is behavioral health. Uh, our chief operating officer, uh, Mr. Fonseca, is listed as, as giving this report. Hi, Luis, how are you doing? Uh, as always, presume your packet, uh, uh, presume that your board has read their packet. We're striving for 75% dialogue, 25% um, uh, uh, reporting. So with that, Luis, please. Excellent, thank you. So uh, I, I appreciate the, uh, the, the dialogue that's been occurring. And, and so today I have Dr. Siddhartha, which, you know, thanks to uh, Tracy Jensen's question, he kind of stole some of our thunder as far as what we're doing as it relates to, to telepsychiatry and some of that great work. But, uh, but I, I will certainly look to, to my partner. I will say that over the last several months, I've been spending a lot of time out at John George, uh, working very closely with Dr. Siddhartha and, and an amazing team of providers out there. Uh, and, and staff that really have come together to really transform a culture that, that was deeply ingrained for decades and, and certainly was not uh, what we wanted it to be or expected it to be. And so here recently we have seen uh, some, some significant improvements and, and really largely in part driven by uh, the great work and the leadership that Dr. Siddhartha uh, just, you know, brings to the table every single day. He, he sets the tone for the rest of the staff. He leads some of uh, you know all of our key meetings, uh, as far as our, our quality meetings uh, and and uh, some of our improvement uh, and lean effort meetings. And so again, I, I wanted to just publicly here say thank you to Dr. Siddhartha for for being just a phenomenal partner and and really driving uh, the work that we're doing there at um, at John George. And and again, we're we're far from from being where we need to be or where we want to be. But I can tell you with a high degree of confidence and with total confidence that we are much better than we were three months ago. And so uh, with that, I'll, I'll look to, to Dr. Siddhartha to kind of guide us through some of the work that's been happening as it relates to our True North metric. And then we'll also provide some additional details on some of the work we're doing there at the facility. And, and before I turn over, lastly, I would say that uh, uh, all, we had the opportunity to, to tour 
you know, Dr. Bouquet, uh, Trustee Bouquet, uh, through our uh, the facility. Uh, we spent some time. We spent uh, pretty much a half a day. Mm -hmm. So thank you for carving out the time, and thank you for uh, inviting we were, me. We were able to, to you know, just have some great dialogue and, and walk through the facility and share. And I would certainly encourage any of the other trustees to take advantage of the opportunity to go physically and 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 uh, really truly experience uh, what what happens in in that very complex environment. And so, uh, so thank you for doing that, Dr. Bouquet, and and we'll continue to move things forward here. Of course, thank you for the mind. It was very illuminating. Hmm. So in a positive way. Well, thank you, Luis. I appreciate it. Uh, I, everybody has the packet, I guess. And uh, uh, the main things I would like to highlight is uh, how we are doing on the, each of the metrics, uh, each of the areas. Uh, the first is uh, access, right? So I think we are doing pretty well on the length of stay for inpatient, or in observed for expected over expected length of stay uh, is on target. What we are struggling with is our uh, PES length of stay, which had uh, really increased in the last year. Uh, we have made several changes in the way we are working in the PES, the way our workflow goes for both inpatient, uh, for both psychiatrists and social workers. Uh, too many changes to list down. However, what we have been able to achieve is to stabilize the length of stay. It was kept going up, and we have been able to bring it down from 34 to 30, and we have been uh, hanging around there for the last two, three months. So we have another set of changes that are planned, which require uh, uh, further conversation and you know, a very specific planning. Uh, we, with Luis's uh, Leadership. I think we have uh, now the lean. We have a kaizen going on to, to kind of look at the, uh, our workflows and see how we can optimize it. We have. Uh, we are looking at changing the way the psychiatry scheduling works. They also further changes to the workflow, which we believe that if we are able to put in place over the next two three months, our length of stay would come down significantly. And when that happens, we will not have census holds as often as we are we were having. For census holds, also we have made some progress uh, compared to the summer. We are probably at around 50% of where we were at, but it's still 50% is still high. Uh, sorry? Is that 50% of the time there's a census hold? Yes, 50% of the census, yes. So, so, that's, so we were about 10 days uh, in June. We are at six. So, uh, But the number of times we went on census holds was 11 in June and in December we went four times. So, you know, about 50% I, I would say, yeah. So the, so the way I'm looking at it, or we are, we are looking at it, as we can decrease the length of stay, this thing should improve. The, this real, the impact that, is, uh, that it has on our EDs and all the other referring EDs is pretty significant. Uh, so that, that's, in a way, kind of moving forward, uh, Dr. Bouquet, that's my priority number one, <laughs> so kind of to work further on that. Num uh, so that's access. As far as quality of care goes, our focus has been on really working on all the areas that we identified for improvement during our CMS survey, the deficiencies that were found, and how we can uh, get better on those um, on these different areas. So we follow on a weekly basis 16 metrics. Uh, we have been at the 90% compliance for 14 of them. We are 
making steady progress to be on 90% compliant for, uh, for 16 of them. We are not there on two of those metrics. Uh, I, I believe that we will be there in the next, uh, within the next quarter. The other aspect about uh, which, I, which I think uh, we are doing fairly well in is, is the readmission rates to inpatient. It's interesting. Uh, with all those uh, length of stays in PES, and uh, I mean, our readmission rates uh, uh, has been uh, fairly good, and we are on target. To, we are on target for our goal for 2020. Finally, coming to patient experience, uh, again, we are doing better than 2019, but we are not there where we all want to be at in 20 for 2020. I believe that if we if our length of stay in PES decreases. Uh, which is creating a lot of problems, even internally. Uh, once our efforts that we have made gains on, a lot of you know suicide prevention, uh, medical care of patients, uh, once these things get hold and they are sustained for a little bit of time, I think our patient experience is going to improve. But we are doing better than last year. So those are that's my summary of the True North metrics here. Uh, I would like to. Answer any questions yeah, that you yeah. If I, if I could expand on a couple of things, I just want to add some some further, you know, maybe commentary and, and context to to the work that's been happening. It's again, it, it's been a complete revamp of, of all the work that we've been doing out of the facility. If you recall, at the last one of our last board meetings, I provided a very detailed report of you know the current state of John George and and, and the situation that we found ourselves in, where we had a tremendous amount of vacancies. There were some staffing issues. There were some you know various components that. Uh, that uh, were impacting our ability to deliver high quality care. And so um, I am very pleased to report that as of today, uh, I received a, a report from our recruitment team. And uh, you know, our, in our MHS area, we only have currently 7.2 FDEs of open positions that we're looking to fill. Uh, in nursing, we only have one FDE that, we're look, that we've got a requisition that we're work, working to fill. Please, that's down from what? Uh, we had 40 vacancies, right. if you recall. Amazing, so, an amazing recruitment. So, uh, again, this was largely driven by the fact, that, and again, Janet has been uh, equally phenomenal in working and partnering and working closely with our labor relations team and our and, and our labor partners uh, at SEIU and our you know uh, representatives uh, from the facility who have been instrumental in really driving some of this change. Uh, we had a complete rebid of our, all of our clerical. Uh, support staff for the PES and that went smoothly and we got that done and we're working through the process of filling some of those roles currently. Uh, we have our MHSs, which was our mental health specialists, uh, which was where we had the largest number of, of vacancies. As part of this rebid schedule, not only did we make adjustments to our staffing model to account for our reality of, uh, you know, one-to-ones that we experienced based on some of our historical data. And so our core staffing is based on what the needs are to provide you know, care to the operation of the units, which our core staffing is three. We have a mental health specialist that provides support to the nursing staff. We have a mental health specialist that provides Q15 checks on the units for ensuring safety of staff and patients. And then number three, we have a uh, rover. Uh, so these three positions are core. That's minimum, we will always have that. What varies and fluctuates depending on acuity and on need is our one-to-one -one coverage. Our reality and what we have seen historically is that we on average have two patients on one-to-one, -one, on average. Some days some days is more, some days is you know zero. 
So on average, so now what we've done is we've revamped and our rebit schedule was built on having a staffed or scheduled uh, MHS of five. So now we're accounting for the three that we have the core and the reality that we typically experience on our one-to-ones. When that number changes, we also have the flexibility to float from unit to unit to ensure that if we have one at on unit C, but we have three on unit B, then we can float people around. And so again, this is a big deal as you're looking at dealing with you know, negotiating and ensuring that we're all working within the new schedules. And so that's been done, it's been implemented, and we're seeing great success. Uh, we are currently evaluating our nursing schedules. Uh, we're working with, uh, again, our labor partners and trying to understand uh, where the gaps are, what we're dealing with as it relates to, you know, eight hours, 12 hours, or the different shifts. And so we're working through that currently, but that dialogue is ongoing. One of the biggest challenges we have, and, and we've been, I've been very, very clear and, 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 uh, and working with our managers to ensure that we're uh, focusing on accountability and management, and that's basically dealing with uh, attendance issues. Uh, I, I've also met with uh, SEIU, and I've met with the labor reps, and they now equally have expressed uh, and said, yes, there is an issue with attendance we need to make sure we're holding people accountable people need to come to work because when they don't it puts the burden on all of us and so we're managing through that process and again increasing accountability when you start increasing accountability it starts creating other other issues right so we're managing through all that but again I think overall the atmosphere is very positive people have seen a measurable change and directly from the voice uh, and, and the mouths of our our labor reps uh, and and our uh, shop stewards, the environment is totally different than it was four months ago. And so that's, again, equally, I think, a testament to some of the great work that we've done and we continue to do. And so now we gotta, we got to continue to build on this momentum and, and drive the work. In the PES, as we're, dry, as we're focusing on length of stay, uh, as you can see, I mean, that was a dramatic change. It increased by 100%, from 17 hours to 34 hours. Now we're down to 30. There's several changes that have impact, impacted that. I mean, we, as you may recall, in January, Senate Bill 1152 went into effect, uh, which is the homeless bill, which requires very specific actions be taken as you're managing and transitioning patients from the setting. So that's had an impact on what we're seeing. And equally, that bill has very specific definitions of what is considered homeless. And so in some cases, that's, you know, a little bit more challenging for us. And so that's something the doctors are having to deal with, and we're working through that. But more specifically, and the reason we've engaged our start team is because we have to create standard work. We want to make sure that our physicians are doing things at a certain time and our social workers are doing tasks at a certain time. Uh, having a patient sitting in the PES for 12 hours without being seen by a social worker is not acceptable. So we want to make sure that we set some very specific parameters about what we expect to see from our staff, not only our physicians, but also our support. Uh, mechanisms to ensure that we're moving and managing the patient's needs uh, early on in the process. And so that, that all is, is, is working. We, we've got some schedules that we've got to work with, and we've got to make sure that we have a balance in the sense of, you know, when we're seeing, you know, our, our, our volumes and our trends and the greatest need. And so, again, with all that comes change. With change comes other stuff. So I, I just want to make sure that you guys are, are aware of that, that you understand that uh, as we're working through this, as you may hear. 
due to some of the other activity. And so we want to make sure that we're, we're up, up front with that. But these are the changes that are necessary to ensure that we're providing high quality care in the environment. Uh, so that, that, you know, I wanted to share at a high level. Uh, great improvement, great successes. Quality uh, has, has demonstrated, uh, uh, you know, in, in our dashboards that we're tracking in our quality assurance and process improvement committee that Dr. Siddhartha chairs. Of the 16 metrics that we have, uh, I want to say I think it was about 13 of them have been meeting uh, all of or have been meeting 100% compliance or greater than 90% compliance for the last four months. And so we're continuing to see that and, and we're going to continue to track that and monitor that very closely. So great work. It speaks to how we're starting to really hardwire these best practices and, and how we're, we're really moving the needle. In, in the environment. So with that, uh, I'd be happy to answer or entertain any questions you may have or obviously Dr. Siddhartha. Trustee Hernandez. So yesterday in the HR committee, uh, we got a chance to see a preliminary summary of the RESPECT survey that was conducted for employee engagement. And one of the things that I'm going to start asking just about every senior leader that comes to us uh, is based on one of the findings, and that is that there's a need for building greater trust and communication by senior leadership with staff. And so I'd like to hear, what are some mechanisms and, and tools that you are using at John George to ensure that employees can come uh, to a meeting or to, to you or whomever is the, um, you know, uh, visible leader in the room with concerns. What's going on to open up the dialogue so that all this hard work that you've been doing for the last four months um, does not get uh, undermined by, you know, a lack of follow-through, a lack of trust, whatever the issue might be. I think we have to be very um, clear that that's a need that came up in the survey. And so senior leader needs to be able to answer that question. A am I available? Am I making myself someone that people trust with information? And am I doing everything possible to encourage that kind of difficult dialogue sometimes? So I wonder if you could comment on how John George is making sure that kind of communication's going on. Uh, certainly. I mean, I'd be happy to speak to that, and uh, Janet and, and Dr. Siddhartha want to jump in. but. Uh, Several things have occurred. So first and foremost, uh, we're very visible. Uh, that's been, I think, largely appreciated by the staff. And so, uh, you know, I, I have not only not, not only do I lead by example, but I also set very clear expectations of the leadership team where they are not going to effectively manage or provide support from behind a desk. And so they need to be out on the units. They need to understand the environment. They need to understand their patients. They need to understand the needs and challenges that their staff may be facing. And so I expect all managers to be on their units rounding all the time. Our director of nursing is expected to be rounding on the units all the time. I go out and round, Janet goes out and rounds, Dr. Siddhartha is constantly on the floors and how we're working and partnering with our doctors. I had a meeting with uh, Dr. Siddhartha and all of our providers, uh, not only in the PES but also in the inpatient unit and really empowering them as well <coughs> as key leaders of our organization to say, you know what, if you see something that's not working properly, please feel free to address it, work with the manager, partner with the manager, and let's address it real time. And so we're make sure, making sure that everyone understands that they have the ability, they have the, uh, they're empowered 
to, to provide whatever support is necessary at the unit level. We also have uh, reinstituted our patient care committee. These are committees that are negotiated in our contract that in the past were used largely as a, as a complaint session. And so I've met with those shop stewards and those leaders that, uh, uh, labor leaders that uh, participate and we <coughs> revamp and set the, the, the scope and parameters of what we're going to discuss. And it's really all intended to ensure that we're improving the environment, improving the safety, and improving the care. And so we're working through that and we meet on a monthly basis to deal with that. I also make it very clear that we don't wait for those meetings to address or raise issues. We, we address them and raise them immediately in real time. And so we want to make sure that we're always in that constant communication. Uh, I've equally received emails directly from them, uh, from some of the staff uh, when they've had concerns from the labor reps. I will always direct them to have you discussed this with your manager, have you discussed this with the leaders, but I will equally follow up behind the scenes and make sure that we're being responsive, that we're addressing the issues. It all comes down to building trust, as you said, and so that's foundational and fundamental. And so we're working with all of our leaders and managers. I, I have a monthly meeting with the management team. And one of the things actually we were focusing on, I shared with them at our last meeting, uh, one of my favorite books, and it was The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. <laughs> and so the pyramid, and it all starts with trust, and not only with our staff, but with each other, mm -hmm. and how we're supporting one another. And so we're working through that. Uh, so that, that, that's been, again, the ongoing mechanism of you know just really demonstrating that when something is raised, it's addressed. That's really, the proof comes down to that. Mm -hmm. it, you, we can talk all we want, we can be visible all we want, but if things aren't happening, you, you really don't gain any momentum. And large, uh, I think by and large, the greatest changes that we've seen have been driven by the fact that we've been able to demonstrate measurable change. Janet? The only thing I'll add to that is, uh, you know, early on when we embedded ourselves at John George, um, there was a true effort to get the frontline staff engaged. And so Luis had a number of town halls that we were all present at, Tanvir and I, um, and really made it clear from the beginning that this is for you. It's not being done to you, it's being done for you. And so we want to hear from you. And so there was some resistance the first couple of meetings to, you know, is this mandatory, do we have to come? Once they came and understood that we want their voice, we want the changes to be driven from the bottom up and not the top down, I think that really opened that door for dialogue and then just the constant visibility and the constant rounding. And we, uh, we heard and we continue to hear that uh, when we round, staff will say, you came back. You said you'd come back and you actually came back. And so just keeping our word on that and keeping that open dialogue to make changes, it, it didn't mean they always got what they wanted, but we always heard what they needed and then you know made changes appropriate. So I, I think that Excellent. was kind of the catalyst for starting things. Excellent. Um, what I want to say is uh, thank you to both Gassan and Luis for reminding me that part of my job in this capacity is to do the Gemba. So you uh, invited me out there and I, I think what I saw was it was, I had a completely uh, it undid impressions that I've had from this from this vantage point. And from my perspective, your team is doing the toughest move in leadership, which is starting, starting to change culture. And you, that, that was sort of felt palpable to me when I was out there. You know, I was walking with the team. You, everyone was saying hi to everybody. They knew who you were, which was, I found to be amazing. Uh, as corollary to this, I, I uh, you know, uh, I'm always looking at the patient safety report. And we all know in this room that, that John George, John George's, uh, is a regular player on the Sentinel events report. When, when uh, Tanvir gives this report, Tanvir, we're running a little short on time today, and you review it, you'll now see 
there hasn't been a report from John George since August. We've never gone four months without a Sentinel event from, from, from John George. So I just want everyone to be thoughtful of that. I find it kind of amazing. So I'm going to ask the team the same question I asked when I was in the room with you before. Um, one can argue that John George has had significant fires. And you guys, in my opinion, have been a remarkable fire team. Uh, but from an organizational perspective, the organization has invested a COO, a CNE, and an associate chief medical officer to help put out this fire. Those are remarkable resources. And while you have turned the culture, is this sustainable for us as an organization? Is, I mean, how long do we maintain a fire team there? And Luis, you made some comments to me before about structure, your vision for structure. Can you give a few, uh, and we're running short on time, a, a few brief Reader's Digest comments to the other trustees on what you said to me that day? Uh, certainly. So we, we are. We're revisiting the structure. We want to make sure that we continue to sustain uh, the, the great movement. One of the things that has become very clear to me and all of us is that John George is really not a psychiatric facility. It's an acute care facility with behavioral needs. Yes. <laughs> and so we want to make sure that we continue to treat it as such. And so we're pay, pay, placing great focus and emphasis on that. As such, I, I have, uh, we're working through the process of making some adjustments here. But at the end of the day, uh, my plan is to bring in a vice president of patient care services to uh, John George, which will be similar to, and consistent with the structure that we have at all of our acute care facilities, who will be the site administrator, the site leader, who will be a nurse, who will be a clinician that understands behavioral health settings, uh, that will then provide that day-to-day -day support and guidance, reporting directly to our CNE and CAO of acute care hospitals in Janet. So that will maintain the integrity and the community and the continuity between all of our acute care settings and how they're managing and supporting this very vulnerable population from our EDs to the appropriate inpatient acute care setting. Uh, we still have a director of nursing. Both of those roles are currently, one of them is an interim. Uh, the other one is currently vacant, being filled, uh, well, trying to be filled by yours truly and, and certainly by, you know, Janet. Uh, but we're, we're filling that role uh, at the moment uh, to provide that day-to-day -day support and oversight. Uh, but that will be the end state to bring in a vice president of patient care services, giving us four, v four VPs of patient care services across all four of our acute care sites uh, to ensure that we're, we're maintaining and managing, you know, nursing practice, quality and outcomes and experience. And so that's that's the plan. We're working towards that. Uh, I'm certainly not going to be hasty or rush into it. I want to make sure we get the right people because that's going to be the key. Bringing in the right individuals to continue to build on the momentum that we have and bring in someone that will continue to partner with Dr. Siddhartha. And, and I have no doubt that with his leadership and his support and his knowledge uh, of the environment, we're going to continue to make measurable progress. If you could spitball a target on that, are we talking, is that a one-year uh, target to do put, to bring this kind of person in is this a six months? Uh, I, I, I would want to say that uh, I would set an aggressive target of you know my goal would be within the next six months. Okay. To, to have because I think our CEO wants place. his COO back. <laughs> no, he still he still has his COO. <laughs> it, it, just, it just means that we do a lot more. Okay. Um, uh, to to close out, we send to news as you do this. Uh, you know, I ask the same questions always. Um, can you um, give me your rank order list of your top concerns for John George? So number one, you said was access. Yes, access, PS, length of stay. Uh, number two is length of stay? No, no, no. It's the length of stay which is impacting the okay. access. Got it, got it. length of stay. So the, the other second thing uh, for me is integration of uh, psychiatry into uh, non-John George sites, as you've probably heard from a couple of our leaders today. I think we do, I would say that we have plans in place over the next six months. Uh, it'll be fairly robust, I think. Okay. 
uh, and it includes outpatient uh, services uh, across the HS. So that's it, number two. And number three is uh, a consolidation of all the gains that we have made over the last few months. Uh, I think we are doing good, but we need probably another few months before I can confidently say that we are consolidated. And main thing about that is the uh, medical medical care of patients at John George, the safety around the medical care of patients at John George. Excellent. Thank you. Thank and you. I fully concur. Yes. <laughs> thank you, team, for that report. Trustees, anything further on this item? With that, thank you very much to your team. And uh, I, I, it's obvious that the, the, the needle is going in the right direction. With that, we will close item E. Um, uh, begging uh, everyone's indulgence and our chief quality officer's indulgence as well. Um, Dr. Hussein, is it possible to collapse items F, G, and H into one report from us, from you, for us? Well, Dr. Chair, I was going to ask if it would be okay to allow Darshan, Annette, and Nil to do your presentation because I just judged the reports. Yes. So any mistakes are mine. All the good stuff is theirs. Okay. So if it's if you will indulge uh, uh, them, of course we will indulge okay. them, and we'll we'll ask for an expedited version because okay. we're appro approaching T minus twelve minutes okay. under this. So if we can do this in about seven minutes, Two apologies. Minutes to judge. Come on. Darshan, Nilda, Annette. Can you do a two minute, <laughs> two minute presentation each? <laughs> Since Darshan's first, Darshan ready? Um, timing. So Darshan, just, just, just give us, always, I always presume that your board has read the packet. Um, give us the highlights of, of uh, the, the, the patient safety report. I am feeling very optimistic that we are taking a turn for the better after a lot of a lot of heartache and um, discouragement we are actually uh, steering in the right direction so does that look to be corroborated by the data you've presented yes it does which is kind of mm -hmm. cool mm -hmm. and like like um, you just previously mentioned we haven't had a sentinel event from John George um, in many months knock on wood and that has really allowed us to also look at other areas that need our support and um, guidance uh, to to keep you know compliance. What are your top concerns with regard to patient safety in our organization as of today, right now? Mm -hmm. What is my top concern? Um, the culture. 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 Mm -hmm. Can you can you get, expound on that just a little bit? Um, as we as we've identified even at John George. There was a uh, large disparity of perhaps what leadership may have felt that the staff needed and what the staff's needs were that weren't being met. So there was a lot of um, frustration. I'm okay. not going to use big words. For, okay. uh, our safety scores also showed that data. And when we did a lot of debriefings, we were hearing it firsthand from our frontline staff. Um, we're really committed this year. Um, from a patient safety team's focus to really look at our culture and see where the gaps are so we can help help correct that so that our outcomes are better. If, the, if we improve the culture, the outcomes will be much, we'll see huge um, uh, improvements in the in the outcomes. So I guess what I just heard from you, our focus in the short term is to actually identify those elements uh, where, where culture can be improved. Yes. And yes. then with that, 
we would arm ourselves to leverage change? Yes, that yes, communication being one of the okay. biggest uh, barriers in, in the culture, uh, whether it's physician culture, staff culture, nursing culture, we saw that in the results, and we're really going to invest a lot of energy um, in the culture of safety survey and really continue to drill down and help identify those barriers. Excellent. Yeah. Trustees, any questions on item E, sorry, item F, the patient safety report? Thank you very much for that report. I apologize for the expedited, my, my time management issues. With that, we close item F and we'll go to item G, regulatory affairs. Hi, Nilda, how are you doing? Hello, Nilda Hello, Perez is our Director of Regulatory Affairs. Can you give us the highlights of your yes. report, which was nicely um, included in the packet? Thank you. Um, I actually would just like to say that it was um, very um, uh, reaffirming that Regulatory Affairs is a fairly new team within um, the Quality Department, but that I, I could see the improvement um, between last year and this year. The number of reported events that resulted in deficiency went down substantially, and even though we had a smaller sample size, which, as you know, any negative outcome would skew us in the negative direction even more so, we went from a rate of 20% deficiencies from site visits down to 12%, which is an accomplishment, I think, across through EPIC implementation, Merging of medical staff, um, standardization across uh, all the different departments and facilities, which is an accomplishment. So that's uh, one thing that I want to highlight for everyone. And it, it really does represent a lot of work from a lot of people way before I got here. So again, uh, kudos to the leadership team and to all of the frontline staff that have been making that possible. There's a nice downward trend graph. Yeah, it, yes, it's a, exactly. It's a beautiful little Thank, graph, yes. graph I, Yeah, I will yeah. keep looking for those opportunities, <laughs> every opportunity that I have to present to you. And the other thing is that um, really the buzz is in the air about survey readiness and um, the opportunity to demonstrate that we do what we say we do and that we are continually striving to provide an even higher quality of care for our patients every day, every patient, every encounter. And um, the boot camps have rolled out. We've had tremendous support and turnout. I cannot say uh, how pleased my team and I have been and uh, with um, all of the great support from Tanvir and the executive leadership and all the people around this table. Uh, so that is um, actually the thing that I'm looking forward to. Um, we will have some opportunity for probably simultaneous surveys. We just found out that the lab survey may occur also between July and October. And so right in our middle of our window. So, Got it. Uh, yeah, so we'll be working and that will be very robust. I don't want to take up anybody more time unless there's a question for me. Trustees, any questions of Nilda regarding the regulatory affairs report? How um, much, how, how much um, time do you get in advance for the stroke and the lab survey? So stroke, we typically get um, a week uh, notice. And then for the lab, we might get uh, approximately 30 days. Thanks. Up to 30 days. It could be as short as two weeks, but two weeks or 30 days. And for the other one, it's completely unannounced. Nilda, here's a uh, question, and maybe sure. we, if, we, if we need to boot this one, but, but I've always had this. Is there a way to benchmark ourselves versus other organizations with regard to the number of surveys or complaints or whatever? Where, where do we sit relative to other safety nets? Or maybe that data doesn't yeah. exist. Um, I, I have no idea. You know, I think there might be some opportunity to see, uh, just because the state report deficiency data is available. Yeah. Um, we can see how many we've received from like-sized organizations or similar patient, patient safety nets. So that's an opportunity I okay. could uh, explore with my team and we could possibly. It would just be an in interesting yeah, comparator because we see 97 CDPH complaints. Mm -hmm. That doesn't really mean anything to me personally mm -hmm. in the scale of a, a $1.1 billion organization. I don't know where that sits. Right. Uh, okay. So that might help us yeah. inform in the future. Okay. Great. Yes. Uh, trustees, any other further questions? 
With that, we will close item G and we'll move to item Dr. A. Chair, just one quick comment. Um, Dr. Chair, I love it. Now I'm going to use that all the time now. You can call me. <laughs> um, hey, you. I mean, just because I can't, I don't remember if this was part of um, public uh, session, because I think we didn't meet in December, that um, uh, our license is, de we are back in deemed status with the Joint Commission. We did receive official um, You're just telling us uh, this writing now. from CMS <laughs> oh. that uh, we are in, back in full conditions of participation. Um, uh, so I just wanted to make sure we said that uh, publicly. Yeah, that and in fact, that John George actually uh, for future you lead with that. Yeah, banner across. Can the I say one last comment? <laughs> I know you asked Dashnell what's her greatest concern from a regulatory perspective. Gonna, yeah. I'm so sorry. Um, I'm, my, what I've been seeing in the boot camps and what I've been hearing from folks as we go out to investigate events is that really this is a great opportunity for standardization across the organization. Standard. And yes, and just even I'm talking to folks about what we do differently. At the core um, at Highland versus the community based although that have been traditionally community but we are all now system facilities so um, we're really I'm looking forward for those opportunities and I feel a, a good amount of frontline staff support for that and, and among leadership so okay. I hope that, that happens thank you for your report with that we close item G we'll open item H Annette Johnson hi Annette manager of quality analytics uh, give us the skinny if you don't mind okay so um, for the Metrics. Um, I'm, I want to first off and say that this transition to Epic from from someone who collects data, like when you change the source system where you get your data, is probably the scariest thing in the world, of and course. it has been probably the smoothest transition I've seen. Oh. I mean, we weren't really data blind too much, um, and then we've gotten tremendous support from just about everyone in the organization, and um, the IT and BI team has been hugely supportive in making sure that we get data back up and running. So I really appreciate that. And um, I'm very happy to report that we have only two metrics um, that are pending right now. Um, I guess, I'm sorry, we have four metrics that are pending right now. But in both of those cases, I know that there's work underway. So for the ambulatory appointment, um, check-in to discharge times. I know that they are, the metric is built and the, the operations team is working on validating the data to make sure that it is in fact capturing what they asked for. And there is a huge, large um, pri uh, effort underway to build all the prime and quit metrics, all 47 of them. Um, and I think it's amazing um, how far we've gotten. We need to remember that previous to this, it took us a year to build the prime and quit measures. And so we're trying to do that in um, three months. So I, I appreciate the support and I'm um, excited with the progress that we're making there. Uh, <clears throat> and then I guess um, a really big highlight to point out is that our HCAPS um, patient experience numbers are continuing to climb. Yeah, so awesome. <clears throat> um, the efforts that we're making with GIFT and no pass zone seem to be um, working and um, continuing to grow and improve our patient experience. Excellent. Trustees, any questions of Annette? And that uh, your top concerns with regard to the, the, the dashboard and as uh, for those who are following along in the packet on page 205, indeed two of the of the items are not available. When those, when are you projecting those to become available? So for the ambulatory measures, my yeah. understanding is that those should be available next month. Okay. And would those be retroactive to the go live or would they only be forward looking? I believe they'll be retroactive, but okay. let me confirm. Okay. Yes. And then Prime and Quip, um, I think we're projecting March or April at the wait latest. Okay. Um, and that's mostly because there's just that's a great. huge number of metrics. But we have about 14 of them built, and we're working with our stakeholders to make sure that they are getting <laughs> data in the interim so that they can continue to drive performance on those metrics. Excellent. <clears throat> Your top concern? 
<laughs> My direct concern is always just making sure that um, we're particularly when we get new data sources that we are validating the data, validating the data <laughs> to true that is true. But um, and I do feel like we I have tremendous support um, in regards to that. I don't see it as a problem, but you know I'm always worried about it. Yeah, <laughs> you're you're so good with data. Uh, so I got thirty Hussain. seconds. <laughs> thirty seconds. Deemed status. Decrease e events. Decrease sentinel events. Decrease com uh, complaints. Decrease. Uh, grievances, uh, reduction in HAIs, increase in patient experience, decrease in patient safety uh, indicators on our way to continuous readiness and improved culture. Yes, <laughs> uh, that, this is a hooray for the direction. <laughs> that is. Uh, with that, we will close out um, whatever item that was. That was item G. We'll, uh, sorry, item uh, H. We'll move into item I, the tracking calendar. Super quick since I'm at I'm going to be a plus one minute. The, the calendar is included, uh, which I've made some updates to. The board has decided to have four uh, retreats uh, this year. So we're going to shorten QPSCs on some of those days. Just take a look at the, at the QPSC calendar report. So on those retreats, I've taken out a few things to buy ourselves some time. QPSCs will be markedly shortened during those retreats, just largely doing our official business so we can do retreat business. A couple of ad hoc reports, um, I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm sitting next to our CEO. Uh, we've been having a big dialogue on a topic we've been wanting to talk to about for a year entitled the patient affairs landscape. Right now I know PACE and our CEO and our CMO are trying to figure out who will own and make this presentation. It's okay. I'm, how about I choose April of this year? Do you think that's enough time to figure out I something? Do. Okay. I, I appreciate so, it. I was going to say March. So that's I, I, I like to give uh, people opportunity for success. Thank you. Um, uh, in March, um, we'll bring out a report from uh, Janet and Felicia of OK. We previously had discussions about AHS as an LGBTQ-friendly medical center. And there's some work under, going under, underneath that. Do you think you'll be prepared by March to do that? Yeah. Excellent. And then uh, Dr. Hearn isn't here, uh, but Dr. Hearn is a champion for the for the wellness committee. I'd like to hear back from them in March as well. Would you mind uh, uh, advising him on that, Dr. Baden? Okay. But uh, wellness falls under medical staff. Would you mind be talking? We will figure that out. Wonderful. So with that, uh, I had a, uh, an item on from the last minute. Yes. That was going to be reported back in April, I believe. Okay. About 5150. That's my miss. I didn't remember that. So you want to report on 5150? Well, it was in the minutes. Okay. Me, um, How about a given time? It was, it was part of our follow-ups that was in the minutes from the last um, from the last meeting. That was my drop. I will I will wrap back around and we'll make sure what that is done. So with that uh, uh, with that we'll close item I uh, item J legal counsel report. Yeah, the uh, committee met in closed session and approved the credentialing report to the two committees and took note of their action. With that we will close the last item and that's one minute and thirty seconds over. Thank you very much. That closes QPSC.